This is a hot topic and I'm excited to talk about it because yeah, hormonal regulation is something that people are very concerned about during postpartum. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday. This week, I am coming at you with an Ask Me Anything episode based on questions that you guys submitted to me on our new podcast hotline. How cool. My plan for 2023 is to do more Ask Me Anything style episodes. And to make it even more fun, I want to feature voices from our community. So if you've got a burning question about pregnancy, birth, or postpartum that you'd like me to answer on the show, all you have to do is call 919-213-8719 and leave a voice message for me. If chosen, I will play the question on a future episode and answer it right here on the show. This week, I'm covering questions about cholestasis, placenta encapsulation, epidurals, and more. If you love episodes where it's just me answering questions, have you listened to the most embarrassing questions about pregnancy and birth episodes yet? If not, after this one, do yourself a favor and listen to episodes 161 and 162 next. But for now, let's get started. I am so excited to answer these questions. I love hearing y'all's voices on this little voicemail. Hi, Liesl. My name is Melissa, and I'm calling to ask about cholestasis of pregnancy. I am currently getting tested. I'm 27 weeks and I'm just curious like what treatment typically looks like and what you guys typically see when it comes to labor and delivery with cholestasis, if there's any extra like monitoring or tests that are usually done and just basically what that typically looks like. Thanks. Bye. So, Melissa, cholestasis of pregnancy, let's talk about it. So, first of all, those of you who don't know what cholestasis of pregnancy is, let's go over what it is. So, it is a liver disorder that occurs during your pregnancy, and it is characterized by the accumulation of something called bile in the liver, and this causes you to be really, really itchy all the time, all over your body, especially on your hands and your feet. So that is your friendly PSA that if you are having extreme itching during your pregnancy, make sure you let your provider know about it. There is also a condition called PUPS, P-U-P-P-P, pruritic urticarial papules and plaques of pregnancy. (laughs) Sound like Daffy Duck. I'm never going to say that again. Pups, okay, is what it's called. It is an itchy rash that uh, is just caused from hormones during pregnancy. 
And it basically presents very similarly to cholestasis, but it doesn't have any effect on you, except that you're very uncomfortable and itching all the time, or baby. And cholestasis definitely can. So if you're having all this itching, make sure that you get it checked out. Make sure it's not cholestasis and it's pups. The exact cause of cholestasis is really not well understood, but it is thought to be related to your hormonal changes during pregnancy as well. And it is more common in the last trimester of your pregnancy when your hormones are really at their peak. But good news, it usually goes away within a few days after delivery. So if you're having symptoms of cholestasis and you have it, know that as soon as you deliver your baby in a few days, you're going to be feeling a whole lot better. It affects about one in a thousand pregnancies. So it is quite rare. And the good news is there are some treatment options available to help make cholestasis a little bit less miserable because these poor ladies who come in for their inductions, they are usually pretty miserable by the end. It's pretty, you get pretty itchy. Are you in search of the perfect pump for your breastfeeding days? Proven to provide more milk in less time, the Motif Luna is a powerful breast pump that's built for modern motherhood and covered by insurance. With a battery-powered or non-battery version, the Luna is perfect for today's busy mom. The Motif Luna Breast Pump is lightweight and sleek, quiet and customizable, so you can quickly find what works best for you and your baby. The Luna also features a backlit LCD screen, built-in nightlight, closed system, quiet motor, and auto shutoff. And the battery-powered model gives you even more freedom and flexibility with a rechargeable battery that lasts over two hours. But beyond the features and ease of use, the Luna works. In a third-party study, five out of six moms reported more milk and less time than the leading pump brands. As a pumping mama, I personally used and loved my Luda pump. The expression mode works to express milk as efficiently as possible, while the massage mode would stimulate my letdown by mimicking my baby's natural nursing pattern. Sophisticated, strong, and soothing, covered by insurance, get ready to make your pumping days easier with the Motif Luna. To learn more about the Luna and order one for your breastfeeding and pumping journey, head on over to MotifMedical.com. And as a special offer for all MLN podcast listeners, you can get 15% off site-wide, including the Luna plus all supplies and accessories with the code MLN23. Some exclusions may apply. That's code MLN23 for 15% off site-wide at motifmedical.com. Number one, your provider might prescribe you antihistamines, but you can certainly take antihistamines or just apply an anti-itch Benadryl cream. A good thing to do, I do this with my kids, is put the cream in the refrigerator and then when you apply it, it just feels a little bit better. Another thing that I have heard in my community is using this stuff called tar soap. You can usually get it from like Whole Foods. The one that is particularly popular in the forums is this stuff called Pine Tar Bar Soap by the Grandpa Soap Company. 
And that one you can just get on Amazon. It has a bunch of Amazon reviews of pregnant ladies who had cholestasis who say it works really, really good for the itching. There are other medications that can be prescribed by your provider. One in particular is called Actigal, and it helps to actually lower your bile acids in your blood. And this is usually what your provider will do first because we kind of try to get it under control as best we can. And you'll have frequent blood trials during your pregnancy. The medication can only do so much though. And it's kind of a game. Okay, let's take this medication for as long as we can. And what's the liver enzymes right now at your week of pregnancy? And how many weeks are you? We want to wait. But yeah, Actigal is definitely the most common medication that moms are on if they have cholestasis. As far as labor and delivery, you will be monitored. Usually our cholestasis moms, I believe, have to have continuous monitoring. And they also are almost always induced unless they go into labor for some reason before 37 weeks. Most places do it right at 37 weeks. There was a study about five years ago that determined that the best time to induce these ladies is between 36 and 38 weeks. So that's why most providers say, okay, 37, but some providers are okay with you going up to 38 weeks. And let me just read you a little bit more about this study so you understand it a little bit more. So it was from January 2006 to December 31st, 2011. So I guess now that I do math, that's almost six years, not five years. 332 patients were diagnosed, studied with cholestasis of pregnancy, and they defined it as pruritus, which is itching associated with total bile acids, and they were managed using a single institutional protocol, which is it's recommended that the induction of labor for women diagnosed with mild, so that's less than 40 milligrams, and severe cholestasis, that's great than 40 milligrams, have an induction between 36 and 38 weeks gestation. And they looked at the average total bile acid level, the average gestational age at delivery, birth weights of babies, primary C-section delivery rate, stillbirth, and the incidence of respiratory distress syndrome, which means baby was having some trouble breathing after delivery. So they reviewed all of these things in the 332 women that were diagnosed. 195 of them actually underwent induction of labor, and they determined that based on all of the things that they studied, the best course of action is having an induction of labor between 36 and 38 weeks. I hope that answers your question. Hi, Lisa. My name is Sabrina. I hope it's okay to ask two questions. If I've had an epidural with a previous pregnancy that's been over five years, am I likely to have no reactions again a second time? And is it true that taking encapsulated placenta could help with your hormonal regulation postpartum? It is, of course, okay to ask two questions, Sabrina. Let's go over your first one. So you had an epidural with your previous pregnancy that's been over five years, and you want to know if it is likely that you have no reactions the second time you have an epidural. So, of course, we can't guarantee that you won't have any complications or reactions, but... 
since you have a history of having no issues the first time, there is a pretty good chance that you won't have any issues the second time. Of course, every pregnancy and every birth is unique and there are certain factors, right, that can affect the likelihood of complications. Epidurals are generally considered safe and effective for pain management during labor, but of course they do come with some complications. So let's just go over a couple of the most common ones. The first major one is drop in low blood pressure. If you listen to the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast, you probably already know that because I talk about epidurals and their complications a whole lot. But yeah, a drop in your blood pressure, which is usually pretty well managed with either positional changes, medications, or an increase in fluids. And one thing to note as well, it's great that you didn't have any complications the first time, but sometimes it also depends on who places your epidural because it's not a standard dosing. They take into account like your height and your weight and what their practice is as well as anesthesiologists. So I've seen some anesthesiologists dose moms with this amount and have their continuous rate at this amount. And then another anesthesiologist would see the same patient or a similar patient and they would dose them a different amount and their continuous rate would be a little bit of a different amount. So it's really kind of also dependent on them, but generally, If you don't have any issues the first time, there's a pretty safe bet that you won't have any issues the second time. All right, the sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, had my first baby January 1st and had the best experience thanks to your classes. We took the epidural series and that prepared us for it all. Breathing techniques came in clutch for pre-epidural and I was so relaxed throughout because I knew what to expect from your courses. Pushing was a breeze. Baby came out so fast. Docs were like, damn girl, you are strong. (laughs) All thanks to you. Thank you. Recommend 10 out of 10. That's great. If you want to have an even better birth just like this mama, head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. Now let's talk about your second question, encapsulating your placenta. This is a hot topic and I'm excited to talk about it because yeah, hormonal regulation is something that people are very concerned about during postpartum and encapsulating your placenta is just kind of a trend right now. A lot of people are doing it. So let's talk about it. And let's talk about if there is any scientific evidence to support these claims that it can help to regulate your hormones during postpartum or if it even provides any benefits at all. So first of all, your placenta, it's the organ that allows for the exchange of nutrients, blood, waste between you and your baby. And after baby is delivered, your body expels your placenta and you're not pregnant anymore. Consuming your placenta is actually something that has been around for centuries and 70 to 80% of moms who choose to consume their placentas choose encapsulation, but it can also be eaten raw, which I do not recommend. And your healthcare provider will probably not recommend it either. It can also be cooked or dehydrated or even roasted. Mm, Yum. 
So if you choose to encapsulate it, though, it involves steaming your placenta and then drying it out and then grinding it up into like a fine powder. And then it's placed in little capsules. And then you basically take the little capsules during your postpartum period, like as a supplement. And the idea behind it is that your placenta contains hormones and other beneficial compounds that can help to balance your hormones and improve your overall postpartum recovery. And there is some anecdotal evidence to suggest that it might be beneficial. Many women who have tried it report feeling more energized, they're less anxious, they're less prone to mood swings, and even some studies have found that placenta encapsulation may help to increase milk production. It might have a restoration or faster restoration of blood iron levels and increase the release of oxytocin in your body, which can help your uterus return to its normal size a little bit faster. However, though, it's important to note that there is currently no scientific evidence to support the claims that placenta encapsulation can help with specifically hormone regulation during the postpartum period. So even though some studies have found some benefits These studies out there are pretty small and more research is really needed to confirm whether or not these findings from these studies are legit. Additionally, it's important to note, while your placenta does contain hormones, okay, and possibly other beneficial compounds, the level of these compounds may not even be high enough to have a significant impact on your hormones. Now let's go over some of the potential risks to placenta encapsulations because it's important to talk about pros and cons. So potential risks. Number one, if it is improperly encapsulated, it can harbor bacteria that can make you and your baby sick if you're breastfeeding. There is exposure to environmental toxins like heavy metals that can accumulate in your placenta during pregnancy that can then be transferred to you if you encapsulate your placenta. There has also been some evidence to suggest that it can lower your milk supply. Your placenta contains progesterone, which inhibits the production of prolactin. There's also a risk of developing blood clots. So your placenta contains estrogen, which can increase your levels of clotting factors in your blood. And there have been reports of jitteriness or dizziness. If you choose to encapsulate your placenta, it should be handled safely. It should be packed in ice right after you deliver, and it should be stored correctly and cooked thoroughly before consuming. And another thing to note, here in the United States, at least, there are no laws governing the practice of placenta encapsulation. So it is really important to do adequate research and choose a company who you trust who will handle your placenta safely. So in summary, obviously it's up to you, but the majority of information about benefits that we have regarding it are anecdotes, you know, anecdotal evidence of moms who have tried it and have talked about how it has benefited them during their postpartum period. Hi, Hazel. My name is Hannah, and I'm calling because in my last birth that I had of my son about a year and a half ago, which was side note. So incredible. Thanks to all of your information and your course. I can't recommend it enough. 
Um, I had a retained placenta that after the birth of my son um, needed to be manually removed. And I am wondering if you as a nurse see this happen in future labor and deliveries for moms. Like, should I be concerned or worrisome about it in any future deliveries that I have? And is there anything that we could do to stay on top of it or prevent it from happening in the future? You are so sweet, Hannah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you enjoyed my course. So retained placenta, yuck. I'm so sorry that you experienced that the first time. It is no fun, but let's talk about it. Most of the time, after you have a vaginal delivery, your placenta just comes out on its own. And it usually comes out within 30, but you know, in most cases, it comes out really quick within a few minutes. But occasionally, women do experience what's called a retained placenta, where the placenta gets kind of stuck up in there for more than 30 minutes. And some providers even allow you to go 60 minutes after delivery before they intervene. And this can be really dangerous because you can lose actually a lot of blood very, very quickly. In fact, retained placenta is one of the four leading causes of postpartum hemorrhage. So it is pretty serious. Sometimes if you are bleeding pretty heavily and your placenta is still attached, we can give you medications that will help your uterus just kind of contract and expel the placenta. But a lot of times we do have to do that manual removal. And it basically involves your provider using a gloved hand. They use like an extra long glove and they do an exam. They go into your vagina and go up into your uterus and kind of grab onto that placenta and manually remove it. And I know you're probably cringing right now and that is an appropriate response because it is cringeworthy. Like, I'm so sorry, (laughs) Hannah, that you had to experience this in any delivery that I've been in where they have to do placenta, manual removal of placenta. It's not fun. And my hope is that I'm not scaring you. I'm just informing you that, hey, this is something that could happen. And while it is not fun, it is unfortunately necessary if you are bleeding pretty heavily after delivery. Not sure what you should be learning and doing in each week of pregnancy to feel your best and get prepared for birth? I know that when you're pregnant, it can feel impossible to stay on top of all the new stuff going on with your body, your baby, and your bulging at the seams to-do list. That's why I created the free weekly pregnancy series. Sign up to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. That's all one word, mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant. See you in your inbox real soon. Many times, if you don't have an epidural, your provider will give you some IV pain medication before they do this procedure. And it is pretty quick. Usually it's pretty quick. It's not like they're up there for, you know, even minutes. I mean, usually it's a few seconds and they're able to get it out. 
And about 90% of the time, they can get it out just there at the bedside. We'll give you some pain medication and it's out. But sometimes manually removing the placenta at the bedside just does not work. And if that is not working, we will have to take you back for a DNC. And this is usually done in the operating room. And it's usually done kind of, you know, right then, right after delivery. It is worth noting, retained placenta affects approximately 0.6 to 3.3% of women. So that's a wide-ish range, but it's pretty rare. Having a retained placenta can really happen to anybody, but it is more likely to happen if you are experiencing a stillbirth, if you are having premature labor, if you're delivering prematurely, if you have a really long labor or you push for a really, really long time. So taking into account some of those risk factors that you might be able to control, stillbirth, obviously we want to make sure we're on top of keeping track of our fetal kick counts. We're going to our prenatal appointments. We're alerting our provider if we notice that our kick counts are off or something just does not feel right with your body or your baby. There's not a whole lot you can do to prevent preterm labor other than trying to have as healthy of a pregnancy as you can. And usually subsequent births are a little bit shorter and you push a little bit less than the first time. In terms of induction, I've kind of already explained it. It's more about your Pitocin being on for a really, really long time that tires out your uterus. So while the thought behind, well, if I don't get any Pitocin at all, then that decreases my risk you know, I guess I can say that it's more like if you're on Pitocin, you don't want to be on it for two days. I hope that clears it up for you, Hannah. And guess what, guys? Those are the questions that I have this week. I love this and I love elaborating on these topics for you guys. So if you want to hear your voice, like how cool is it for Sabrina and Hannah and Melissa to hear their voice on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, if you want to hear your voice and hear me possibly answer one of your questions, make sure you call in and leave me a voicemail. I love listening to them. Again, the phone number is 919-213-8719. It's super easy to leave me a little message. Nobody answers. It's just a Google voice or, or whatever. And you call and you just say your name and ask your question. And then I will pick some of them to do in future episodes. Next week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I am having Dr. Mona on from Pete's Doc Talk. She is one of my friends. I've known Mona for a long time in this online space, and she's actually been on the podcast previously as well. So I'm really excited to have her on and talk to her again. She is just a joy and she has her own podcast as well. So be sure to stay tuned into next week's episode. I will see you guys next week. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth, and newborn life? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. 
See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth no matter how you deliver.